are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. This episode of the Traditional Outdoors Podcast is brought to you by St. Joe River Bows. If you're looking for a custom longbow or recurve, then St. Joe River Bows has you covered. St. Joe's is a family-owned company that specializes in traditional bows for the entire family. And their forward-handled design, powerful limbs, and unique wood and color combinations make St. Joe's the perfect choice for the budding or experienced archer or bow hunter. Tracy offers bow options for all members of the family from the youngest to the oldest, and they even offer a trade-in program on all youth bows. Now, I have known Tracy and David Belowski for many years, and both Nick and I, plus both of our families, just love Tracy and David. So check out their website at www.stjoeriverbows.com or call Tracy Belowski at 517-617-3658. Well, hello, everyone. This week, I'm running solo. Nick had some family in town and was not able to join me on the podcast, but I've got a real great guest lined up for you. Uh, First, I would like to remind everyone that we do have the contest still going on, the drawing for the Bone Broadheads. That drawing will be for two packs of Bone Broadheads and your choice of 125 or 200 grain right or left bevel for a total of six Broadheads. And the only thing you have to do is go out and leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app or platform. And we'll hold that drawing uh, on the 22nd. The winner will be announced shortly thereafter on uh, social media. And then that uh, winner will also get a shout out on the episode that will be released on the 30th. So be sure to get out and leave that uh, rating and review. And we wish everyone the best of luck. And with that, we're going to jump right into the episode with our guest, Mr. Jeff Scoggin. We hope you enjoy. Well, all right. I'm joined this week by Mr. Jeff Scoggin. Um, I ran into Jeff kind of in a roundabout way. Um, I, back when Cameron Mortensen was on the show and we were talking about fiberglass flower rods, I had um, friended him on Facebook and started seeing a lot of the stuff that he was liking and so forth. And all of a sudden, one day, one just really jumped out at me. It was something I had not and I typically see most of the traditional bow hunting stuff on on Facebook, but this stick and string, and that's S T I C K N S T R I N G dot net showed up in his feed, and started following that, and and ended up tracing that back to the uh, to the owner of the Facebook page that was associated with that blog. And that turned out to be Mr. Jeff Scoggin. And finally, after several phone calls and a lot of rescheduling and, and just general mayhem, I've, I've managed to finally get you on the show. How's it going, Jeff? I'm doing well. Yeah, it's been uh, been a lot of back and forth to try, you know, finally try to make this happen. But um, I appreciate you reaching out to me. Yeah, Cam's a, he's a good buddy of mine. We live right here in the same town. So uh, he's a he's a good friend. So you guys have you guys have done quite a bit of fly fishing together. I would not say we've done quite a bit, but we we've done we've done a fair our fair share together. Um, uh, we actually he actually did a piece. Um, I guess it was last year or maybe the year before called Native Sons, and uh, we fished a creek back home uh, in Edgefield County that will remain nameless on this podcast, but <laughs> it's uh, it's full of giant red breasts and uh, Bartram's uh, red eye bass and. And he thought that'd be a great place. He'd seen lots of pictures of me 
uh, posting up from there. And so he thought that'd be a great place for he and I to get together and kind of meet face to face for the first time. And um, we took some glass flower rods and crawled down in that canyon and just had a blast one afternoon. So that's kind of how we first started kind of getting together. Well, and I'll be honest, I've, I've, I've tried reaching out to him several times after the podcast. He's a, he's a hard fellow to catch up with, but I think it's probably as much my schedule as it is his, but I'm still going to get up there and, and find a way to shake his hand and maybe hit a stream with him sometime. And now I've got a, now I've got a two excuses to get up that way. So we'll have to, we'll have to coordinate and make that happen. Oh yeah, man. Come on. We could, uh, we could have a good time. I can show you some really nice water. Uh, we got some great water right here in uh, Columbia and the Broad River, and uh, we've got a tail race trout fishery that runs right, uh, basically right through Lexington um, from Lake Murray, and then uh, lots of other creeks, you know, that are around uh, up National Forest, and um, we've got quite a bit of fish, and people don't realize the amount of fly fishing that's available right here in the Midlands in South Carolina. Yeah, and I've been just, you know, looking at the stuff that, cameron posts and and kind of following him along i you know and i grew up in in north carolina and we didn't have we had to drive all the way to the western part of the state and you know at the time that was where i lived that was six seven hours uh to find to find trout when i started realizing there was there's some pretty good trout fisheries right around columbia which surprised me yeah it's it's pretty amazing um I, you know, I just moved back to Columbia, um, I guess, like, it's almost been a year now, uh, last October. Uh, but I'd been coming up here to fish since, oh gosh, late 90s, early 2000s. And um, I had never fished the trout up here. In fact, I really didn't even know it existed until a couple of years ago. Uh, and a good buddy of mine kind of turned me on to it. And um, it's, it's, a, it's nothing short of amazing. You can catch fish uh, in the lower Saluda tail race. Um, larger and of higher quality than you'll catch anywhere in the southern appalachians i can promise you yeah it sounds a lot like the the tailwater or lake lanier the on the chattahoochee i imagine they're they're very very similar yeah it's a typical you know southern tailwater for right. sure no doubt well we were we were kind of joking around about how hard it's been to to get this lined up i guess we've been we've been talking about this for over a month now um and and you know not only from the scheduling perspective either you've had things come up or i've had things come up and and we uh both times we we actually got this on the calendar um at the last minute nick had to back out for for various reasons so i know he's going to be bummed that he didn't he didn't get to join us tonight and and get to talk to you but uh i don't know it's just (laughs) it's it's hard to coordinate three people's schedules sometime and when i i've got wyoming coming up in a week so i'm trying I'm, I'm trying to get a few um good episodes in the bank we talked a little bit about that before we started recording so i uh, really wanted to make this happen tonight so uh yeah he's just gonna have to be he's just gonna have to be jealous well that's okay you know we can sit around and talk bad about him he's not here to defend himself so. <laughs> that's exactly right that may be that may be the best i like you more and more all the time yeah so, Jeff, I, we, we kind of jumped in and went straight to the fly fishing, and, and obviously that was around Cameron, and we'll, we'll come back to that. But I really wanted to talk to you. Um, so the, I guess, first of all, the, the website caught my attention for a couple of reasons. One, obviously, stick and string, it immediately equated to traditional archery with me. But when I got to looking at it, I 
I kind of realized you had a little bit of a twist on the string aspect of your of your website because it's really traditional bow hunting and fly fishing, uh, which is you know kind of the the two I guess the two bigger topics that we have focused here on the on the podcast, which you know made it even more appealing. But so let's break that down and and it, you know first let's let's get into the the traditional bow hunting i guess you know first of all just what drew you to hunting with a with a traditional bow yeah that's a that's a good question um i'm the only person in my family that hunts um i've got a brother who's 14 months younger than me uh and my dad and um probably if i remember i was somewhere around 12 or 13 and i was watching these guys like chuck adams um in the, in magazines and on TV at the time, TV kind of videos were coming around and I was watching these guys bow hunt. And I just thought, man, I really want to do that. I have no idea why, but I really want to do that. And I, I'd always made stick bows and read about primitive skills as a kid. I would just read anything I could get my hands on about it. And, um, so uh, I saved up my money and my dad took me to a pawn shop and I got a little dart and trail master, which was a, a, a wood glass uh, wheel bow that was a, at that time about 20 years old. And I learned to finger shoot that and I got pretty good with it and uh, kind of went on through my high school years uh, with some buddies trying to figure it all out and never was successful with the bow, um, hunted a little bit with the rifle. And finally, when I was about 19 or 20, I guess I was 19, um, I killed my first uh, four point buck. Um, with a compound bow and what what kind of bow was that again jeff i'm it sorry was a, it was a dart and trail master just a, it was a really old um i think mid-70s uh bow put out mm-hmm. by darton and um and that's what so you after, that's what you killed the four point with yeah yeah very killed cool. that four point with that um i didn't even know any better in fact at that time i didn't even know anybody else that bow hunted um the couple of us um, you know me and my high school buddies that bow hunted they learned about it from me and I had no idea what I was doing, you know, except for what I read in magazines and, uh, what I could see on TV. There were no, really no archery shops around. Um, there was Augusta sporting goods and, uh, Mr. Perry Hawk, he was a bow hunter and a fly fisherman. And, uh, he'd let us come down there and hang out and he'd tell us stories and, uh, he'd tie knock points and kind of get us set up, um, where we could be successful shooting the bows. We had no idea what he was doing, but you know, of course he did. Um, and he was just kind of lending us a helping hand and I'll never forget, forget him for that. But, um, after I killed that four point with the, with the Darton, um, I went on hunting with uh, more modern compounds, um, till I was probably 24, 25. And I had just become, uh, sort of infatuated with a recurve um, and I don't really remember why other than it was just really romantic to me and um, so I, I, I bought a used um, Martin Hatfield takedown and it was in 45 pounds um, had a really beautiful laminated action wood riser uh, it was a gorgeous bow and I started trying to learn to shoot that and as far as I knew instinctive at the time that was the only way i knew how to do it um so i tried that i was not successful in terms of um, being happy with the accuracy um and i kind of went on and off with it um ended up in graduate school up here in columbia and didn't have a lot of time to hunt 
Um, and so I kind of went back to the compound uh, because I could just pick it up and shoot it like a rifle. I didn't have to practice, um, which I didn't have a lot of time to do. Um, and I could slip out and hunt, you know, just whenever I could. Um, and then once I got out of graduate school, I graduated um, in 2009. I went back to the recurve and um, I decided that I was going to learn to shoot this thing. And I just, I sold my compound and uh, all the stuff that went with it. And um, I shot the Martin for about a year and finally got a twisted limb in, in it um, somewhere 2010, 2011. And I bought a Bear Grizzly. Um, and I don't remember the year of that boat. It was a vintage bow though, so I, I want to say it was a 70s boat. Um, and I had an encounter with a little buck down on the Savannah River. Uh, he, he come between the edge of the river and the wet weather pond, and that's a, it's a longer story um, than I have time to tell here probably. But he, uh, I'd scouted him up, and uh, that morning it was so foggy that I ended up in my climbing stand way out of position from where I wanted to be. Even the flashlight couldn't help me see where I was going. Right. And um, so I got down out of the tree, and I waded across this little shallow wet weather pond, and there was a willow tree growing. And it come up out of the water and kind of grew diagonally about two foot off the water. It made a perfect little seat. And I just kind of backed into that willow tree and sat down. And uh, his scrape was about 12 yards from me on the edge of that wet weather pond. And I hadn't been sitting there 10 minutes and I heard him come and I looked over and this buck, he was a six point buck. This is on public land. And he come right down the edge of that pond, stopped in that scrape right in front of me and starts pawing it, licking the branch. And I could see every hair on him. You know, I could see the reflection in his eye. I could see his breath. And about the time that I was watching his breath, I realized that my breath was floating right towards him. <laughs> That's not good. And and he realized it at about the same time, too. And he stuck his head straight up, but he looked straight away from me back towards the river. And I drew and shot, and he was already already ducking. And that arrow just arced right over the top of his back. And it was that experience right there sold it for me. Um, watching that arrow just arc towards that animal and barely miss him. And being that close and that personal, I'd never been that close to a deer before. Um, on the ground, you know. And uh, after that, you know, I was just sold out. Um, I was all traditional all the time. And I continued down my path of learning how to, you know, shoot better and other bows. But um, I would say that was the defining moment if, if, if you had to pick one. Well, it's kind of, it's funny. I don't know if uh, you probably have not gone all the way back and, and listened to the, the first episode of this podcast, but if you had, it would really be kind of spooky, the parallels that I just heard there. So <laughs> nobody in my family hunted up until I started. Now, my brother, my younger brother, um, you know, he's, he still hunts today, and um, he kind of got into it with me later. But my father went out and bought my first bow for me as a birthday present because I just I, I bugged him to death about wanting to be out in the woods hunting, and he just yeah. didn't care anything about it. But, but he bought me a Darton SL50. Um, You're so, kidding me. Uh, dead serious. And in fact, I keep saying, I keep saying I'm going to buy one off of eBay and wharf it and turn it into a recurve so I can. That'd be cool. Cause just, just because it, you know, I, I, I took quite a few deer with that bow. It took me a while. I don't, the first one, my first with a, with a bow, the first year I, I killed was with a bow. I, I was determined I was not going to pick up a gun until I got one with that bow. 
Um, and it was actually also the first one I shot at. Um, somewhat similar to your situation, except I was in a tree stand and it was, it was much longer shot than I probably should have taken, uh, back at the time. But, you know, I, again, I had, I, I had no mentors. I had nothing. So this, this buck came walking a trail paralleling my stand and I picked out a spot where he was going to cross broadside in front of me. And I, in my mind, I guessed it to be about 30 yards. It ended up being about 40 or so yards but when i shot i still remember watching the arc of that area back that was a 55 pound uh compound and i don't know what the air weighed but it was those you know eastern um hunter orange yeah xx uh, i mean it was heavy splendor (laughs) and i was shooting a um razorback five if you remember those yeah but the he he didn't he heard the he heard the bow but he didn't, he didn't react to that, but he saw that arrow. I mean, just like you could see him, he spot, he saw the arrow and then that's when he tried to move and it actually, uh, hit the top of his, um, top of his back, back near the hip and cut the, the hip and cut the femoral artery and, and that was it. But it was, it was really a fluke thing that I, that I got that first one and it was a little five point, um, but yeah, that I hunted with that Darton for many years, and and yeah, you know, I got into more modern compounds for a while, and I'm kind of like you. The first, the the first real close opportunity, um, I shot the first doe that I shot was a about twenty about twenty yards with a, a longbow. Um, that's a whole nother story. But the, what really what really set it for me was the first buck that i took with a longbow was on the ground at about eight yards no blind natural cover and i had at that point i was done and i hadn't i even at that point in time i'd been shooting uh or hunting with a longbow and nothing else for i don't know i'd have to go back and look now a couple years before i got that buck and i still had all my firearms for hunting in case i ever wanted to go back they're all gone. I just, I knew there was no, I wasn't, there was no way I was going to want to go back to, to hunting with anything other than that, that simple stick and string. It's an amazing feeling, isn't it? It is. And I, you know, I'm like you in that respect. I, I, I just can't, I can't imagine doing, you know, doing it any other way. Honestly, I don't, I don't own any type of bolt, bolt action rifle. I mean, I've got some, uh, several home defense weapons, um, some shotguns, but, um, I just, you know, if I have to go uh, deer hunting, um, you know, with a rifle, then I'd, I'd just as soon take a camera. I mean, that's kind of how I feel about it. And that's that's not a knock to anybody who hunts with a rifle. It's just, you know, I heard Clay Hayes on another podcast talk about that, you know, he's a, he hunts for, for, the, for experiences. And, um, and that's, you know, for better or worse, uh, there's no real better way to describe it to me than that is I'm, I'm hunting for an experience. And, um. Uh, you know, like you, I'm looking for that first deer on the ground. Um, you know, I, I spent last season hunting on the ground, and um, it's just an incredible thing. Uh, you know, just like in fly fishing, you know, you tie that fly and you spend time wrapping different materials on the hook, and then you present that fly, um, you know, to a fish, and you see if you can fool them into into taking it. You know, I'm 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 just infatuated right now uh, with the idea of considering myself on the ground. Um, you know inside that 10 yard line um and seeing if i can fool that animal you know and that to me is really what it's all about for me 
Well, I'll, I'll tell you, um, we can we can chat a little bit after this. I can give you some more ideas, but I will throw one out at you right now. Um, do you have any areas that you uh, that you hunt that have stands of river cane? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have a lot of bottoms and drainages um, that, that'll have river cane alongside of them. But one of the very, one of the most productive areas that I've ever had hunting on the ground is to go find a, find a decent trail, preferably an intersection of a couple of trails in a flat along a creek um, where you've got some fairly dense river cane, go in and cut a, you know, cut a, a spot out big enough that I can get in, get my bow, have enough room to maneuver, and then just, you know, a couple of shooting lanes if you even need to cut those. Um, I just, I'm convinced that deer just, those, those vertical lines, they can't, they, they can't see you. Um, just messes them up. Huh? And with the, if you've got a, a decent sized Creek, um, I mean, obviously you still want to play the wind, but, uh, that, that cool water in those running creeks, a lot of time will actually help pull your scent down away from where you're hunting as well. And it just, like I said, I've had a lot of luck doing that. Um, so, you know, give it a shot. I think you'd, I think you'd be surprised what you can get away with. I've actually killed two coyotes on the ground doing that. One of them was, I think it was like six yards when I, when I shot from where I was sitting. That's amazing. Those things are slick. You know, I, <clears throat> I spent a good amount of time in the woods fall, spring, and, and I've only seen, you know, a couple coyotes while I was hunting. And they catch you moving in the tree stand. They hear everything. They, you know, I've tried to call to them and they'll circle downwind, you know, and, and bust me uh, every time. And so that's, that's amazing that you were that close and able to fool them. Well, Nick's going to, so Nick loves hunting on the ground. So we're going to talk about it a little bit more since he, since he wasn't, since he bailed on me tonight, we'll just make him a little bit more envious, but uh, <laughs> he, I give him a hard time. He love he does. He loves hunting on the ground. He, um, He's coming back down here again this fall, and and right now he's going to be in a tree for pretty much everywhere we're going to be hunting. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you one more quick story just to because um, I don't think I've I don't think I've talked about this one on the podcast, and it's a really good place to bring it up. It might help you out as well. I will tell you to always think outside of the box, um, especially when it comes to um, finding creative places to hunt on the ground. Uh, I guess it's been about four years ago now maybe five, I had a really nice uh, eight point that I had spotted several times. And this joker, and I know now, I honestly think now what he was doing is he had me patterned. And he <laughs> yeah. would he would spot me, if I was hunting, I had, I had two tree stands, one on each side of a, a creek drainage. And regardless of which side I decided to hunt on, I would see him, and I probably saw him six or seven times over the course of the season he would always be on the opposite side of the creek from where i was set up without fail it's amazing how they do that it really is and i think what he was doing was he was he was scanning far enough back and and i've seen deer here do this quite a bit you know especially on public land actually stop and look up in trees there they have figured it out in places oh, yeah but uh we had a uh, a late season hurricane came through. I want to say it was towards the end of October and it took a huge, uh, red Oak, the top out of a huge red Oak on one side of that Creek and a plan formulated. And I almost, I almost screwed this up, but I hunted one morning. He walked down the other side of the Creek, 
about lunchtime, I came down, I walked over, and I cut enough inside that oak lap that I could get up inside the, because it still had the leaves on it. I mean, it, was, it wasn't green, but it was still a lot of a cover inside there. Right. And I cut out a little spot in there that I could get in there with just a little stool, and I figured, you know, I've got a 50-50 chance that he'll come down the right side of the creek if he doesn't see anybody in that tree. And I waited, I don't know, a week or two weeks. I went back and hunted it one morning. And I'm and when it got daylight and I'm sitting there, the first thing that came to my mind is I have screwed up. I am way too close to this trail. And I remember about the time I thought that, I caught movement. And he was coming up my side of that creek. And he was going to pass right in front of me. And it is without <laughs> a doubt the closest I've ever been to a buck in my life. When he walked directly in front of me, it couldn't have been more than – three yards i mean it, it was like 10 feet That's amazing and i'm sitting i couldn't i was afraid to blink and he 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 wasn't walking slow but he wasn't walking fast he was walking with a purpose and he went maybe i don't know 10 feet beyond past me and i was hoping i could turn to get a shot and he actually turned and started quartering away from me and couldn't ask for it to be any better. And I, I finally got an error in him, but it was it was a month-long ordeal. And then when I got him on the ground, he had been fighting so much, he was a six. He had actually broken his G1s. Oh, no. Um, and the the uh, the G2, G3 off the other side. It was, But it was still, he was a bruiser, and nobody could have been prouder of that buck. So I would just say get creative with that ground hunting. It can pay off. I'm going to give it a shot. You know, last year was, <clears throat> it was a learning curve. I'm not going to lie. Um, when you hunt on the ground and you know this well, since you're experienced at it, um, it's a different mindset. And if you're used to hunting in tree stands, um, I made a lot of mistakes picking places to set up thinking like a tree stand hunter. And uh, it took me a little while to figure out, you know, that back cover was more important than anything I put in front of myself. And uh, picking trees big enough to kind of, um, cover my silhouette, you know, where nothing was hanging out on either side, you know. Um, and the thicker, the better. Like you said, those canes, that sounds like a perfect thing. Um, I've got some good spots for that. I'm going to have to give it a shot. Well, I got a, I got a few more suggestions, but I'll, we'll, we'll talk for a few minutes after we, after we wrap up here and I can give you a, a couple more suggestions of things to try. So, uh, but I did want to ask you as far as, um, have you is whitetails pretty much all you've pursued or have you hunted other animals and other places or is it pretty much mostly been in in south carolina yeah it's mostly been in south carolina um i've hunted in georgia some um i've spent i've uh, been fortunate to spend some time hog hunting in georgia um at a place called creighton island and uh we myself and some buddies of mine would go over there uh in february and, you, and they it's a place you, you pay to hunt, but it's unguided, and it's a it's about a thousand acre island, um, and they kind of drop you off out there. There's an old Boy Scout camp, and uh, you take all your supplies, and and they they drop you off for a week and come back and get you, you know, in a week. And, mm-hmm. uh, had some good success. Uh, I've shot hogs uh, every time. Um, first year I went, I took a recurve, and then um, this past year, this past winter I went, I took a, a reflex deflex longbow and I was uh, successful both times on multiple hogs. So, um, I've hunted hogs and I've hunted whitetails in South Carolina and Georgia and then, uh, turkeys in South Carolina, um, small game, anything I, you know, we've done a lot of armadillo hunting. There's, there's no much more fun than, uh, stalking armadillos, uh, with traditional bows. Isn't it amazing how high those jokers can jump at the thump it's of a crazy. bow? It's <laughs> crazy. 
I mean, we laughed and laughed. In the middle of the day, you know, no hogs were, you know, everything's buried up and we're just walking around these old roads and, you know, the armadillos are everywhere. And I mean, we laughed and laughed like we were little kids shooting those things. Yeah, we had, uh, uh, so first of all, we, we've done a hunt a couple of times, me and some friends, Nick, one of them on Cumberland Island, which sounds very similar to what you're talking about. That's right up the coast from where, yeah. uh, Creighton Island is. And, uh, a few years ago, we did a hog hunt down in, um, Okmulgee WMA down near, uh, Macon, a little below yep. Macon. Yep. I know where that is. And, uh, we were, we'd gone out to cut firewood. It was me, Nick, and the, uh, Tom Jurgensen, my, my buddy I'm heading out to Wyoming with. And we'd gone out and cut a bunch of firewood. It was cold. It was in the teens with like a 20 mile an hour wind. I mean, it was just oh, brutal. Man. And we're riding back, uh, in the pickup and a poor, 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 poor armadillo just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time crossing that road <laughs> and and the you know the truck went into park it was still sliding when everybody's bailing out and grabbing bows it's amazing somebody didn't get hurt and it i came to full draw and and loose the first air and it was just right on target and as soon as i let go it looked like one of those toys you had when you were a kid that you'd had the suction cup you'd press it down on the table and it'd sit there a few minutes and then pop straight up yeah, <laughs> that, that thing popped straight up, and the air went went right under me. And I'm standing there in shock and disbelief. And the next thing I feel is something yanks my bow out of my hand. Tom Jurgensen, and this was it was a you have to understand the whole story. It was a sixty pound bow. Tom grabs it. He's got arrows that are that are tuned up for a, an eighty five pound longbow or something crazy oh, like that. And there's arrows flying everywhere. We, the, the armadillo finally met its end, but it was just a comedy of errors, and and we were the same way. Nobody could shoot because we were laughing so hard. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they are they're a ton of fun. So one other thing I wanted to bring up um, while we're talking about the bow hunting, and I don't want to get into a lot of things on your site because I I would you know people need to go out there and kind of look over it. But that uh, the latest series that you did. The the in the beginning series that was, yep. That was four four articles, right? Yes, sir. Four four pieces. And yep. I would recommend that anybody that goes out and looks at the site and read these don't cheat. Go back to the very first one and start reading it. But that was that was a pretty cool story. Um, I have to ask was was it all was it all on the level or was there any uh, uh, embellishment from a from a creative writer perspective on that story? No, um, you know, that's, that's not really my style of writing. Um, I tend to tell it exactly like it is. So if you read it, um, on my blog or any place else, um, that's pretty much exactly how it happened. And for me, um, and this, I guess it's a quick sidebar about my writing, but, um, I'm the type of writer I've always wanted to be the guy that when you read something that I write, it puts you right there in the moment. Like you can you've been there before you know all the things that i'm saying it's familiar to you um and if you've never been there i've used enough detail and description that you can you can you can see it you it paints a picture for you um so yeah it was it's all true it happened exactly like that detail for detail well it was uh it was a very very cool article i know that um Without giving too much away, it was one of those things that I know it was probably tough to to. I know it was digital, but put pen to paper and actually, you know, write that story down because it's, uh, 
it's one of those endings that you just you don't you don't want but we've all been there i mean that's that's that is hunting and it's it's i wouldn't say it's any more um of a of a bow hunting or a traditional bow hunting thing it's just it is going to happen but um I, I i applaud you for the way you you way you laid that story out and told it and even the way the story ends is the epitome of of why guys like you and me actually do the traditional bow hunting thing it's it it comes down to respect for the for the animal you're pursuing and again i don't want to give too much away but if anybody reads it they'll they'll understand where i'm coming from well i appreciate that and you know one of the things that i i sort of pride myself in is i i've always trying to be a a very transparent person and um i don't i don't tend to hide things about myself and i'm just not that kind of person and if you want to know it about me just you know just ask me and i'll tell you um you know, everybody has a story like that, whether or not they're uh, willing to admit to it. Um, but my hope was in writing that, um, that somebody who was coming along behind me, uh, who didn't have a lot of experience and who was maybe having their first, you know, couple of seasons and, and trying to learn how to, you know, figure this whole traditional bow hunting thing out, um, would read that and maybe not make some of the same mistakes that I made. Um, you know, and it, if I can help somebody in that way, or, you know, if I can, uh, you know, put some salve on, on a sore spot that somebody else has, uh, when they, you know, read that, Hey, there's other guys out there who've had this experience too. And, you know, it's not fun for anybody, but it happens and, uh, you learn from it and you drive on. Yep. And I, I, uh, I had a similar experience and it was, it was, uh, wild hogs. It wasn't. It wasn't whitetail. And I wrote an article about that, and it was just in um, the Compton Traditional Bow Hunter uh, Quarterly Newsletter. And it'll be on the Simply Traditional site in a week or two. I usually publish stuff there after it's been out in those those publications for a few weeks. Um, okay. I'll have to check that out. But it was, yeah, it was uh, the same story about you know it's it's going to happen if you're if you're a traditional bow hunter and you spend enough time in the woods and 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 do enough hunting you're going to have one of those situations and this one was kind of funny because both myself and i actually had the the hunt on video and you know eight people in camp sat there and stared at that at the video footage over and over and over again for the course of a week and nobody could figure out why we didn't recover that hog and then when i got back home and was going through the footage i pulled it into a a video editor and was looking at it frame by frame and one thirtieth of a second is the name of the the article because I found one frame where it really it truly showed where the arrow impact was and it was back a couple of inches but because of the speed of the camera by the time the arrow hit the hog was already on the move and with the arrow stuck in the ground and and the, it bending it made the fletching look like it was forward a couple of inches. Oh yeah. So, you know, it was, and you know, it's a game of inches we're playing. You know, we, we strive for that six inch kill zone, but it's, you know, one inch the wrong way makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. Especially with hogs, you know, with everything being tucked so far forward behind that shoulder and the shield, it's, um, it can be tough if you don't have a good quarter and away shot and you don't tuck it right there behind that low elbow, uh, that knuckle joint, you know, you'll get, you'll get into their stomach and you'll just never find them. Are you a, are you a member of Compton's? 
I don't think that I am. That's the that's the national traditional uh, bow hunters uh, society. Is that right? It is. It is. I I highly recommend it. We'll 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 talk about that too as we're as we're uh, wrapping up after the recording. But yeah, you know, highly recommend it. Great bunch of people. Um, fairly low low cost to join, um, and there's there's some really good benefits to it. But we'll we'll catch that up on great. that later. And I want to get into. I know you've had a, a recent issue with your 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 bow your hunting bow um <laughs> but i tell you what jeff this is a really great spot to take a, a quick break for our passing down tradition segment and then we'll we'll get into that discussion right after okay sounds great all right this week on passing down traditions i want to first take a moment to acknowledge that we have skipped our mid-roll uh, the last couple of episodes, I've actually had some people messaging me. The mid-roll is not going away. We are going to continue producing um, the mid-roll segment. There's a lot of organizations out there that I want to recognize. There's a lot of individuals uh, that, I'll, that I want to recognize for the things that they're doing to protect our outdoor traditions. Um, and there's a lot of things that obviously come up from time to time that I'd like to make you aware of. The reason they were uh, missing the last two episodes was really around my hunt that was coming up. Uh, and I was actually on in Wyoming and it was just a matter of time. I, I just couldn't work them in. So uh, just know that these are not going away. They are going to continue. Uh, may miss one from time to time, but it, it usually just comes down to being a matter of time. So with that said, this week, I really want to give another shout out to the Sportsman's Alliance. If you have not checked out the Sportsman's Alliance, I highly recommend you do so. Their website is www.sportsmansalliance.org. If you're a member, fantastic. If you're not a member, I strongly recommend you joining. I think the the annual membership fee is twenty five or thirty bucks, uh, and they really do a lot. They're the the first organization whose primary focus is protecting your rights as a hunter or a trapper against those that would that would strive to take away those rights uh, they've got a couple of big articles on their website right now with with actions going on in in california and montana uh, in california there's an action uh, being sent to the governor's desk around uh, blocking um, the import of the Africa Big Five. So people that are going to Africa to hunt, uh, which is somewhat up in the air right now with some of the things that are going on uh, in the nation of Africa with regards to their constitutional amendment. But California is looking to try to block people from bringing in um, those trophies from uh, African hunt. So that's kind of a big deal. The other big one really is around um, the the Yellowstone grizzly hunt that's been halted by a federal judge in Missoula, Montana. Um, there was an original halt back uh, early September, late, late August, early September. Um, that has now been extended by the same judge for another 14 days. Uh, so nothing's really um, been put on permanent hold, but this, uh, this halt keeps taking place to uh, gain, gain further uh, information and make decisions moving forward. And it's really all being driven by uh, anti-hunters, the anti-hunting movement, uh, in ways that they've found to just tie this up in, in courts to, to prevent you, uh, the hunter, from actually being able to uh, pursue uh, that game. So while this is, you know, around grizzly hunts, maybe not something that, that most people ever 
uh, either want to or have the opportunity to go after. Keep in mind that this is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, as, as these anti-hunters uh, win uh, any small victory, it just empowers them to uh, to go after the next, um, the next animal or the next hunt that they want to block. There's, there's no appeasing these people. So really the only thing you can do is fight and to, to fight back and push back, you know, we need numbers and that's where organizations like the Sportsman's Alliance come in. So again, if you're not a member, please go over and check them out. Uh, I joined, uh, recently, uh, I'd been looking at their website and had shared quite a few articles on the traditional outdoors website from the sportsman's Alliance, um, and was listening to several of, of their, um, uh, founders and, and employees of the sportsman's Alliance on the Steve Rinella podcast, Mediator podcast a while back. And immediately after listening to that episode, I went out and, and joined right away. Uh, so again, sportsmansalliance.org. If you're not already a member, I highly recommend um, you joining. And until next time, that's really all I have. So back to the podcast with Jeff Scoggin. All right, Jeff. So one thing that I, I just have to bring up, and it's one of those sore spots with people, but you shot me a text message, I guess, a little over a week ago. Um, may have been two weeks now. Time is running together here, here lately, but... Uh, you had a you had a bow failure. Um, well, so what exactly happened? I'm having chest pain, Steve. <laughs> I'm having chest pain. Oh man, my baby, my 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 reflex deflex longbow. I I had been um, kind of picking up my shooting schedule uh, in between all the other things I do as a dad, and um, I was out back. Uh, this has been a few weeks ago now. And I was shooting, and of course, anytime I'm shooting, I've got I've got sons five and eight who both have long bows, and they want to shoot. And so I'll stop what I'm doing typically and, and help them shoot. Well, I, I set my long bow on the edge of my flower bed. I've got a big raised garden in the backyard. Mm-hmm. I got to helping them, and then uh, my wife called us for supper, so we went inside and ate supper. And I, unbeknownst to me, left my bow out there. Um, and I came home the next evening from work and my wife, um, I, I looked over and my bow was sitting on the, on the, on the chair and, and it didn't, didn't occur to me at all that it had been outside all day. And, uh, I picked it up and realized that the handle and bottom limb had just delaminated and that bottom limb was just folded because it was still strong. Um, and I asked my wife, so, you know, what in the world happened here? You know, I can't believe this. My, my bow's delaminated. And um, she must have been talking to the boys or something, didn't hear me. And, and I was just heartbroken um, because, you know, here we are. I'm, I'm a month from bow season open September 15th where I live. And, um, and I've, I've got to get my backup bow out, which is, is, a, is a recurve that I'm not terribly fond of. Um, and it wasn't until a couple of days later that she told me she had brought it in. And I realized I, I thought it was the bow's fault. And what I realized was I left it outside in the hot sun all day and it caused the glue to fail uh, is what I think ultimately happened. So I'm on the hunt for a new bow. Um, so what's your, what's your backup bow? Uh, it's a, it's an older, it's actually a Samick, uh red stag. And that is actually the bow um, that was in that four part series that I wrote about. Uh, that's the bow that, that um, I shot that buck with. 
and um, without giving too much away, um, his antler bases are are now the um, uh, tops of the bolts for that for that takedown recurve. Well, that's a little bit of a hint as to what I was talking about <laughs> with the ending yeah. of that story and and what you did. And yeah, a, a lot of respect for you for that. But that's all the hints we're going to give folks. They're going to have to go read it. But anyway, so the is that the is that experience the reason you're not too fond of that recurve? Is it a, you're not too fond of a recurve thing, or is it just that bow doesn't doesn't perform the way you would like it to? No, the bow shoots really good. Um, part of it's the experience, um, and and the other part of it is I've just really, probably I don't know, three years ago, uh, I started. I just picked up a, a cheap. Uh, I, I hate that word. Um, an inexpensive um, budget long, yeah, budget minded <laughs> longbow. And you know that's what I've had to do because there's not you know where I live. Um, as far as I know, there aren't a whole lot of traditional archers. I mean, you, you know, in South Carolina, you've got a gun season that runs from August to January, and uh, guys that shoot traditional bows are kind of weird. You know, people are like, why in the world would you do that? You know, um, but it's hard to find any kind of archery shot that carries anything, you know, and so I've had to just kind of order, uh, you know, budget bows of different types that I've wanted to try and give them a shot. And then about three years ago, I, I did that with a 68-inch longbow. And man, I just fell in love with that thing. Um, it just—I don't know—it was—it was a one-piece longbow. It was just so light, and it just—it—it it shot right where you pointed it. Um, and once I got the hand shock tamed out of it, I just loved it so much better than a recurve. Uh, downside was it was 68 inches long, uh, which made it difficult to hunt out of a tree with and, and on the ground too. Um, and so I—I kind of started looking around and. And found a, a budget uh, reflex deflex longbow in the 62 inch range, and um, I've just been in love with that thing. It's just it seems to draw so much smoother. Um, and it has no hand shock. Um, it's it, it's real zippy. Uh, it's, I, I shoot kind of a uh, sort of a hybrid gap. Um, I use the tip of my arrow, um, but I've got about one gap to 20 yards or so, and then. Uh, at 30 yards is my point on for my setup. So, um, you know, just it did everything I wanted it to do. And, and I love a one-piece bow. They're so light to carry in the woods. Um, and that's probably the other thing is that recurve feels like it weighs nine pounds compared to my, you know, one-piece uh, long bow. So the um, the Samic bow, is that, uh, you know, I, I know you – so I know you got another uh, – bow the last day or two because i actually made you a string for it but now as far as hunting this fall um you know which which bow are you planning to hunt with so that's a good question and uh, i've been looking and looking one of the things that i've really wanted to do that i've always wanted to do is build a bow and uh, time wise right now with two young boys and everything i've got going on with work and all that i'm just not in a place to really do that quite yet um i did uh, order um, a 64-inch uh, bamboo-backed hickory longbow from a, a, a place called Ringing Rocks Archery. Mm-hmm. And um, these guys sell anything from uh, kits to make your own up to completely finished bows. And what I bought was a, a rough-finished tillered uh, bow. Um, and I'd, I had them leave the handle alone. In other words, not cut you know uh, an arrow shelf into either side, right or left-handed. I plan to add 
a little bit of a riser to that um, to add sort of a more of a uh, kind of a low pistol grip handle like I like and um, do some practicing uh, gluing that up and shaping that handle and then I'm, I'm going to do the tip overlays and all the finish sanding and, um, and, and bow finishing myself and kind of see, you know, get my feet wet in the same breath. Uh, probably a day apart from that, I bought a 1974 uh, Darton Superflight Ranger, and that's a it's a 58 inch recurve, um, and it's sort of an experiment too. Uh, one, I wanted a Darton because that was you know Darton was the first bow that I ever hunted with, and it, I, it was just kind of a nostalgic thing for me. And this thing was in really good shape. I got it for a song on eBay. Um, but the other thing I wanted to try was a shorter recurve, uh, 58 inches. I think it's about as short as I can get away with trying to shoot three under, uh, which I do, uh, because I wanted to see how much nicer that would be uh, hunting from the ground this year. Um, so long story short, plan A is my is my Darton Superflight Ranger, and plan B will eventually hopefully be that longbow, uh, which I shot today with your string. I think you saw the pictures, and it actually shoots really nice. Um, I've never shot any type of self-bow before, so... Uh, that's all new to me, uh, but I was really impressed. It's really kind of snappy, and it, it's light, and it shoots good. So I'm gonna have to shoot you a, a take a picture with my cell phone, shoot you a text here in a little bit when I can get away from my desk. I've actually got a vintage Darton recurve. Um, do you really? I do. I, I, I was just you sitting sure we're not on, related, right? <laughs> I, isn't this weird? So I was sitting on on uh, Facebook. It's probably been close to a year ago. Um, if I think a minute, I'll remember the gentleman I bought it from, but he just threw it up on a, a, a Facebook group that he had this thing for sale. And it was, I mean, it was ridiculous. I think I paid 70 bucks for it or something. And as soon as he yeah. posted it, I was like sold. I'll take it. Yeah. Done. Exactly. And it's a, I mean, it's not the, it's definitely not the prettiest bow I've ever seen, but it shoots really well. I mean, it shoots great. Um, and I, I don't even know the length of it. I'd have to go measure it, but uh, it, it, it was just cool to be able to find an, a vintage Darton recurve because that's what I started with too. So I get where you're coming from, but here's what I'll tell you. Since you don't have a, a good plan in place right now, I want to do something for you. I've got a, um, I've actually got three of them. I've got three Savora uh, takedowns. Um, that were made out in um, Washington State years ago. Uh, Duke Savora had a, a, a bow shop out there for years, and um, I've got three of them. It's a long story. I don't want to get into the whole story, but I've got three of these okay. bows. One of them, I, I, I got one. Uh, Jay St. Charles, had he bought out, and Jay's been on the podcast. Um, yeah, I think I saw that. So Jay bought all their when the when the plant closed, he bought their a lot of their equipment. He in fact he still uses presses to build his bows from the Savoir plant, um, and he ended up with a bunch of limbs and so forth. and And I bought a set of limbs from him, and then found a riser um, through Trad Gang, and I loved. I'm not a recurve fan, but I loved this little bow. It was just great. So, and he told me there was a long version and a short version of the riser so i got looking and i found a, a a short riser on ebay and i bought it and as soon as it showed up i was proud of it i took some pictures and sent it to jay and lo and behold jay said sent me a, a message back and said take some take some more pictures of that i need to see an up close uh of the strike plate 
so I did and sent it to him, and it was it was his bow. He had sold it a few years ago. Oh no way! Um, and the guy who bought it from him put it on eBay, and I ended up with it without even knowing it. And to make the story even better, Nick says I make this stuff up, but I'm more than happy to get Jay on here to tell it too. But <laughs> um, Jay was hunting with that bow when I met him hunting hogs in South Carolina in 2012. That is unbelievable! What a small world, but. So anyway, so I had two, and then I ran across another one somewhere, and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and buy it because the price wasn't bad. So if you can shoot, I think I've got uh, a set of 53-pound limbs for it. If you think you can shoot the 53-pound limbs, I'm going to throw this thing in a box and ship it up to you, and you'll have a bow to hunt it if you like it. If you don't like it, you can send it back. But if you like it, it'll be a bow you can definitely hunt with this fall, um, and they shoot really, they shoot really well. Um, oh, Steve, I don't even know what to say, man. That's that's very generous of you. Thank you. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to give it a shot. That'd be great. If nothing else, for just from the history standpoint. And that's that's another cool part of it is uh, is the history. So I'll uh, I'll try to get a. I think I actually have a string for an extra string for that riser because it's not one I've shot. But if I don't, I'll just twist you one up and I'll I'll take it uh, take the limbs off and I'll I'll shoot it up to you uh, probably on Monday. And that way you'll have it for the 15th and hopefully give you a little bit of time to practice and get ready. You know, that's just one of the things. And, and you know, that proves it, um, again, that, you know, the guys that you find um, that are like-minded in this community are uh, a generous bunch. I mean, they just are. I mean, I have not found really anybody who hasn't, you know, I've only been at uh, the traditional archery, you know, full-time uh, for about, this will be my, I guess this will be my fourth season. Um with nothing but trad uh, equipment and anybody that i've approached uh asking questions or needing help has been you know just over the top willing to help uh, and uh, you're certainly a testament to that and i appreciate that very much Steve. well speaking of which and i do want to get to the i do want to get to the fly fishing some but uh i i, I did say something about getting up there and, and and fly fishing with you guys and if you're ever going to be heading down this way and want to try to hit the woods let me know we'll try to work something out there as well but um, I know it's a bit of a drive for you, but I would strongly suggest uh, if you if you just want to come and have some fun for a, a, a Sunday um, after after the deer season ends, come January, February next year, you really ought to just hop in the car early one morning and drive down here. Uh, we have a, a local club in Gainesville, which I think would probably be around two and a half, maybe maybe close to three hours for you but probably about two and a half hours i can be to in columbia in three um that's about right so uh but we have a we have a shoot air the first sunday of every month it's a 20 target course uh first time guest shoot for free and you shoot as much as you want it's we start about nine and pull the targets around three and just some absolutely fantastic people um you might be surprised what you what you pick up and learn too but i would I, I would love to extend you the invite to come up and join us one one weekend yeah it sounds amazing i'd love to do that all right so let's get back to fly fishing a little bit because if you haven't been following along i got i got nick got into fly fishing after we had camera on and he is just hooked i mean I, i've been reading all about that on his blog that's amazing i'm hoping he i'm worried he's not even going to be prepared for deer season because that's all he wants to do now <laughs> is get in the water but so we talked a little bit about about you know the the fly fishing you've done and and i've seen some of the things that cameron uh has posted and and i want to talk about some of the pictures that you've posted on your site as well but 
So, you know, I guess from a, from a fly fishing perspective, what's your, what's your favorite, what's your favorite species to pursue with a fly rod? Mm. That's tough. Um, gosh. I don't have to say if I had one fish uh, that I could fish for the rest of my life, I'd have to say it'd be a red breast. Um, and I've, I've written some articles to that effect. You can, you can check the other half of my website uh, where, the, where the fishing articles, fly fishing articles are written. Uh, but, and, you, and, and I think that'd be pretty obvious. I've written multiple times about the red breast. Um, you know, probably the first fish I ever caught on fly, uh, trout were not available to me when I started fly fishing, you know, where we lived. Um, I didn't even know people fly fished for trout. Um, I just thought it was something, you know, sponge spiders mm-hmm. and, uh, little poppers and a four weight were, you know, were for brim. That's what I thought it was, you know? Um, and so I'd have to say red breast definitely. Um, I've, I've, I've fished everything from tarpon and snook in the Everglades to redfish, uh, in South Carolina and Georgia, uh, stripers, smallmouth bass, uh, and I, I love them all. But if I can only have one, to be the red breast. And I've never so, and, and we were actually talking to another guy um, this week um, on the show, Scott Spray. He uh, he, we were we were talking about carp fishing with him, and and I'll tell you the same thing. I'm, I'm you know when I when I was growing up, I was I was the same way. I didn't have access to trout streams. Um, and even though that's probably still today my favorite fish to pursue with a fly rod, other than a handful of, of bluegill and maybe a bass or two as I was, you know, really cutting my teeth on fly fishing, that's about all I've ever fished for with a fly rod. So the the red breast, and I'm assuming you're talking about a red-breasted sunfish, right? Yes, uh-huh, that's right. And, uh, you know, compared to like a bluegill, what 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 how what's the size relation to like a bluegill? Bigger, same size, smaller? You know, probably most of the ones you catch are about the same size. Uh, I think a bluegill would probably, um, over time and in the right body of water, would grow larger overall than a redbreast would. Uh, but most of probably your average fish are the same size. And uh, do know, they do they have the same spunk as a as a bluegill or more or less? I'd say redbreast fights a lot harder. They tend to, you find them uh, more in, in a little bit of moving water, mm-hmm. where bluegills tend to want to be more in, um, you know, slower slack water. You'll find redbreasts over more sandy bottoms and behind boulders, and they, you'll find them a lot of places in the same place as smallmouth hang out. Um, and that's, you know, you'll, you'll catch them a lot as kind of bycatch sometimes when you're fishing for smallmouth, but... Um, yeah, so the fact that they live in uh, in a little bit more moving water, uh, they tend to have more a little more fight to them. And that's the I've never. So I I must admit I've never caught a a smallmouth either. Um, really, uh, never got, had much access to them. We gotta uh, fix that. Uh, <laughs> we we used to have a. So I I, I used to do a, a good bit of bow fishing in my younger days. In fact, we were yeah, talking about too. about this to um, to Scott. And I didn't bring this up. And before I tell this story, I did uh, throw myself on the uh, on the on the on my spear, and and <laughs> I released an arrow on a, a carp, and all I saw was a flash, and a smallmouth got impaled. Yeah, um, happens. But I did. I did go. There was there was a, a DNR office, and I did go and and you know reported it, and they said you know it happens, wasn't a big deal, but. Uh, it was definitely not a non-game species, and I hit. But that's the only one I've ever actually even touched. Um, 
So yeah, I would love to do that. Now the 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 red breast. So I I think I know the type of water those fish are in. And when when you know those type of waters, when I was growing up, had what we called the the war mouse or you know, like a rock bass. Absolutely, um, same type of water. Yep. Pumpkin seeds. Pumpkin seeds. Yeah. Yep. And those are some beautiful fish. They are. And that's the you know that's the other thing is you know they, they fight hard. Um, they don't live in ugly places. Um, and they're they're just a beautiful fish, um, and they're a lot of fun on, you know, um, as Cameron and I used that day, you know, three or four weight, you know, seven foot six glass rod is just the perfect rod for that, um, and you can just you can have a ball all afternoon, you know, remind yourself of when you were a kid. Now, are you fishing the little like the little uh, bets uh, poppers for them, or is it the foam? Uh, foam flies. To, what is yeah, what? What is the typical I tend flies? To tie my own bugs. Um, for them, and I'll, I'll, I've got a, a myriad of different ones, but um, yeah, small poppers work. I tie, I actually tie a really small, like a size six or even a size eight um, gurgler, um, little gurgler fly, um, and then um, some subsurface flies. You know, a woolly bugger always would take them. Um, I've got a, there's a actually a video of a fly that I tie for them um, on the website called a gill tickler. Uh, people can check that out. It's a it's a pretty easy tie, and they'll they'll crush that thing. Well, that may uh, that may actually be if we can figure out a way to work it out. That that may be a a way to christen. I don't know if you saw the pictures on Facebook, but I actually had a four weight uh, custom fiberglass rod built. So seven I six. I did see that thing's gorgeous. It is absolutely beautiful, and I know uh, I'm I'm in full hunt mode at this point. Have been for a <laughs> month now, so the likelihood that I'm going to hit a stream with that before next year is almost zero. So right. maybe that'll be a good way for us to christen that rod. I, I might even let you cast it once or twice. Oh, I'd be that way. I'd be mighty <laughs> kind of you. <laughs> but it is beautiful. Bird White did an absolutely amazing job on that rod. It's uh, it's it's translucent fiberglass. It's got a, a carbon core in it. Um, and I've only cast it a couple times in the backyard, and it, it casts really well. I can't wait to fill a feel a fish on it nice yeah you um sometime between the end of deer season before uh before turkey season gets started i'm not a huge turkey hunter but before turkey season gets started and the, and the weather starts to get good you need to roll on up here and i'll uh, i'll row you down the salute and let you get a trout on that thing cool deal we'll definitely have to make that happen maybe we can maybe we can get that uh cameron guy to come out from under his 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 shell wherever he's hiding at because I like Weird. I said I, I can't track him down but uh, we'll he's have to. an international man of mystery he <laughs> tends to travel all over the place to do his fishing. Now you kind of told you I guess you've kind of told us what your your favorite fishing area is too with the the, the red breast. I was going to ask you that but I guess you kind of you kind of already dove into that. But uh, do you have a do you have a preference for fly rods and and Cameron will not listen to this so don't let him bias your answer in any way but do you do you prefer uh, uh, glass or carbon or is it does no, it depend on the situation? Um, yeah, it's situational. Um, I, I look at them as tools. Um, I think there are rods that are that are good for different situations as you alluded to, and um, you know uh, I'd love to fish a a glass rod for trout or even for, you know, small, small mouth or, or red breast. I think that's a perfect rod for that. It's just so much fun. Um, I think a small glass rod's a great way to get a kid started. I've started, I bought both my boys, um, glass rods because you can, 
you can feel the rod flex and you can feel that rod load so much easier than you can with uh, some of the faster, you know, carbon tapers. If I'm fishing tailing redfish uh, or I'm down in Beaufort um, or I'm, I'm in the Everglades someplace where the wind blows all the time and I need to make long, accurate casts, I wouldn't want a glass rod. Now, Cameron would argue with me and say that there are, there are faster uh, e-glass tapers out there uh, from some of the companies like Epic. Um, I know he's a big fan of the, of the Epic uh, 6 and 8 weights um, that would do that, and I don't doubt it. Um, but for my money, um, no more often than I get in those situations anymore, I want a, I want a carbon rod. I want, I want a fast-action carbon rod that I can generate a lot of line speed with and, um, and deliver that fly you know, into a 10, 15-knot wind. I hear you, and I'm, I'm, I've still got one uh, carbon rod, and I, I'm, I'm definitely never going to get rid of it. I'll keep it, but I'll be honest, since I, I really started fishing the, the, the fiberglass rods, I've just fallen in love with them, and they're great. I mean, they're so much fun to fish. They're so easy casting. I mean, it just, it, you know, it just adds to the whole element of what fly fishing is all about. Um, I think that's why they're, you know, they're, you're seeing such a resurgence. Yeah, yeah, I, I would definitely agree with you. It's, it's, uh, well, I will tell you that when I, I got the little two weight was the first glass rod that I got um, from Scott Spray, mm-hmm. and I, I went a little stream, caught a few little, I don't know, six inch rainbows, and was like, okay, this is okay, and I left there, went to a little bit bigger water, and hooked into like a you know twelve inch rainbow in some pretty swift water, and I was like, "Oh, this is the stuff, man!" Yeah, (laughs) I was hooked. You can double that rod over and make that thing bend. It's awesome. Yeah, exactly right. Well, Jeff, we're we're rolling on here, and I don't, I definitely don't want to keep you too much longer. And there is, I I guess, let's let's you know start kind of wrapping this thing up. And I I did want to ask you. Uh, a, a little bit more about your um, about your website, and I'll make sure I put a, a, a link to the website in the in the show notes. But you know, what was the what was really the the catalyst for you to uh, for you to start that the blog? You know, it's a funny story, um, and 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 that story um, there's a blog post on it uh, that's way back at the beginning of the blog post, but. Um, I had an unfortunate incident. Um, I owned a saltwater polling skiff, and I did a lot of saltwater fly fishing um, for a number of years. And I had actually taken that uh, skiff down to Creighton Island on the hog hunt. Um, and I'd planned if there were some mild days, this is, you know, end of January, if there were some mild days, I was going to try to get a couple of the guys out and, and show them about, you know, some low tide red fishing um, during the winter. Uh, fish tend to school up real tight, big schools, and it's just a real visual experience and really skinny, clear water. And we had a really bad storm, and uh, the boat was tied up at the end of a deep water dock, and um, I checked on it a couple times during the night, and everything was fine, and then um, checked on it that morning before I went out to hunt, came back that evening, and the boat was completely submerged and rolled over at the end of that dock. Um, and it, it, it totaled that boat out, um, killed all the electronics and the motor. And, wow. Um, so at that point, um, I thought about getting another skiff and my boys at the time were getting up to the age where they were, you know, really starting to tag along with me and, you know, wanting to do, you know, what dad was doing. They weren't just babies anymore. You know, they were, they were getting to be, you know, two to four years old, five years old. I think Cooper was at the time. 
And I realized that, uh, you know, driving two and a half, three hours down to the coast to fish redfish just wasn't going to be in the cards, you know, for my future. Mm-hmm. Um, I needed to do some things closer to home. And, and um, there was a lot of really great resources, uh, you know, tons of fishing to get into. I had all this public land out my back door where I lived. And, um, and I felt like I had a lot of stories to tell. And I'd always been into photography. I got into photography when I was in nursing school. Um, and so I just decided, you know, I'm going to start a website as a creative outlet. And uh, I'd always kind of been a writer, but never had published anything at all. Um, and so I just, I, I decided, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my two favorite things and start a, start a blog about it. And that was, you know, traditional bow hunting and fly fishing. And I called it stick and string. It's sort of a, a little bit of a duality there. And, um, and, the rest is kind of history. It's just, it's slowly grown. Um, I've, I've gone from like two readers to 10, you know, over the past, <laughs> uh, I guess it's been three years now. Um, I do have a, um, I've got an article coming out. Um, some of the, of you, of you listeners may be familiar with the Drake magazine. Um, I've got an article coming out in the Drake magazine, uh, in this fall issue. Um, so people can look for that. That's the, that'll be the first thing that I've ever actually published in a written publication. So I'm, I'm proud of that. Um, and it's, you know, it's just been a, it's been a labor of love. It's not, you'll never see it monetized. You'll never see me advertise. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not your gear review guy. I'm probably not even your daily read. Um, I'm, I'm just more of a storyteller and, um, you know, with all the technology and, and video and things that people are doing these days and social media, I just, you know, as far as fly fishing and bow hunting and I guess as far as uh, riding too, I'm kind of an old school guy. And uh, I think that words can paint pictures that even, you know, videos and cameras can't show. And uh, and that's that's what I try to do. And I would definitely agree with you. And I will, I will tell you, you know, keep at it. Uh, I can't even remember now how long um my my traditional blog has been has been up but it's 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 been a long time and it was it was kind of like that at the beginning it was like you know is anybody ever going to find this thing and and you know over time it it it's really kind of surprising just how much traffic you 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 see um and I, i i have no doubt that that you'll see the exact same thing it's just uh uh, the the writing that you the, that you put out is really good. the The photography is just fantastic. I've, I've actually pulled up the uh, the gallery on your site. I've got so the uh, I work in my home office and I've got two large monitors. And a lot of times, if I'm if I'm working on a document or or sitting on conference calls, I've actually pulled that up and just let the gallery scroll scroll through because the the photographs are just they're just amazing. Well, that's very kind of you. It's very humbling, and I, I appreciate you saying so. Well, Jeff, I don't want to. I don't want to keep you any longer. I've, I've I've kept you yakking away here for for about an hour. I, <laughs> I can go on all night. You know, it's it's a it's great to sit down and and, and talk with somebody who's um, who's like minded and you know who just yeah, I can tell that you you know you really share the passion just like so many other guys do. And uh, I just I appreciate you extending the offer for me to come on, uh, Steve. I just I really do. I really appreciate it. Well, you know, Jeff, and and I think the first time I well, well, I know you did. I'll even I'll even say this, you know, in the podcast, the first time that we we spoke, you 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 even told me, you know, why do you want to have me on the 
on a podcast. And- <laughs> That's exactly what I text Cam uh, <laughs> when you reached out to me. I said, "Hey," because um, I'd seen some of his stuff on your Instagram. I said, "Hey, do you do you know uh, Steve?" And he said, "Oh yeah, yeah, I was on his podcast. He's a he's a great guy." Um, I said, "Well, what, why does he want to talk to me? <laughs> I'm nobody, you know." <laughs> But, uh, well, we're, and I'll, I'll just be perfectly honest with you, you know, we're, we're taking, or we've, we've tried to take a little bit of a different approach. You know, we've had some, we've had some fairly well-known people on this, on the, on the show and we will have some more, you know, Paul Bruner, who was just, just on, and we just released that one. I mean, he's, he, that's probably one of the guys I wanted on when I first started doing this and I wanted to wait until we got, you know, a little more comfortable and familiar with what we're doing, but um, and I've already I've already got some others lined up that are actually really cool as well along that line. But at the same time, you know, we like reaching out to people like like you that are you know fairly unknown, um, maybe just getting started. Um, uh, uh, Lucas Bullington from Lucas Forge, absolutely great guy, and he's he's yeah. he's known really well in the knife making community but not so much outside of that but he's just a super guy and and, you know we want to do some of those things because the last thing that that i want or we want for the show is to get our our head in the clouds that's just that's not us and it's not what we're trying to accomplish we want people like you that have that traditional and it's not about the weapon i keep saying this and it's not about the weapon it's the traditional mindset it's it's the being out there for the experiences and just reading the stuff that you've had. And, and I'll be honest, you can see it in the, in the photographs that you take and you post it's that's what you're out there for. And it shows. So that's exactly why I wanted to have you on the show. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I, <clears throat> I really wanted, um, you know, along all those same lines, um, from my boys, you know, in a, in an age where, uh, you know, everything's on the iPad, everything's on the computer. And, I, you know, I'm a tech junkie. My, my, my job requires it that I use um, a lot of computers and medical records and things. And um, you can spend an inordinate amount of time um, lost in that space. But I really wanted my boys to one day to be able to look back and, and read back through all those things and, you know, see what that's all about. You know, if they ever get lost and they, they want to know what that's like to be able to read that, you know, um, and see what dad was into. And so, you know, I think if guys like you keep, keep doing what you're doing and trying to, you know, spread the message that, you know, like you said, it's not the weapon. Um, it's, 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 it's the experience. Um, it's, you know, finding out why you're really out there, you know, uh, and it's, it's not about the fish or the deer or any other game animal. It's, it's about sharing it with your friends and family. And, um, and it's about tradition, you know, I do know, and I agree 110%. Well, Jeff, um, we're going to wrap this up. I, again, I appreciate you being on so much. We're definitely going to get together and share some some stream time and maybe some, some woods time real soon. I look forward to, to meeting you face-to-face. Lucky, you're one, of the, you're one of the guests that's close enough. I know I can do that fairly easily. So, um, <laughs> Absolutely. We'll have to get together and do that real soon. You have a, you have a great night, sir, and uh, I look forward to talking to you again real soon. You as well. Thank you. Take care.